All right. Good morning, High Point Church. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. It's always a joy uh, to be here with you at High Point. We are in a series called Sweep the Leg. And thank you for the uh, pastor appreciation shout out. I love that the first thing that comes to mind when people think of honoring Pastor Andy is donuts. So <laughs> I am thrilled at your appreciation. So I'm looking forward to that. That was a complete surprise. Church, turn with me to the book of Timothy as we continue this series called Sweep the Leg. And if you are unfamiliar with 80s uh, movie lore, trivia, sweep the leg simply means to, to experience a cheap shot. When, when the sensei says to sweep the leg, he's, he's talking about Johnny uh, kicking Daniel LaRusso in an already injured leg, a weak spot. And what you need to know as we continue our series is that you have an enemy who hates your guts. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, and all of his demonic minions. Here we are in the, in the month of October, and all you have to do is stroll down to one of those Halloween stores to see the darkness, right, that exists in this world. But the scriptures say that our fight is not against flesh and blood, meaning that there is a fight that's happening with you and me, not with each other per se, but with an adversary that you don't particularly see with your naked eye. The Bible says that he's roaming around like a lion looking to devour his prey. He's looking to take a cheap shot. If you've ever watched National Geographic or Planet Earth or any of the, 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 the animal shows that exist by the thousands now, what is it that a lion does? Well, many times they wait in the grass, the tall grass, and they sneak and they sneak and they wait for the weak link to make its appearance. The injured lamb, the, 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 the gazelle that's a little bit away from its mom or the pack, and it pounces. Sweep the leg. The cheap shot. And we begin our series, or we, we continue our series today with exploring how Satan takes cheap shots of you and me. And what on earth we can do about it. What has Jesus done for you and I that gives us the victory over the enemy's plans and attacks in your life. Father, be with us today as we read from the scriptures, as we read from the Bible, and we look to apply scripture, Lord, to live for you. God, would you help us today? Some of us are discouraged. God, some of us are dealing with with such emotional pain it's so deep it's so it's so hurtful god some of us are in relational strain and relational strife some of us are trying to make uh, decisions some of us are feeling the weight of financial burden would you help us today lord to seek you to have our hope anchored in you And to truly experience victory. Your victory over sin and death. Amen. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. The writer is Paul. We're going to be in this, this letter to Timothy in the Ephesian church for the rest of the month. And he writes, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Everyone say shipwreck. Paul is giving Timothy commands, and we, we spoke last week about what those commands were. It's that he is supposed to, you know, buck up and, and, and address some false teachers that, ex, that, are, that are teaching in the early church here, in this young church. And then he, he begins to speak about people who, are, who have begun to follow this teaching or people who are actually uh, teaching it themselves. Their names are Hymenaeus. One of them is Hymenaeus, and they've experienced shipwreck. Now, if you've ever been on a ship before, most of you haven't probably traveled too much by boat. But the primary mode of transportation is a boat. How many of you have been in a sinking ship? How many of you have been on a wooden boat where the boat is being torn apart and you're wondering if you're going to survive? Probably none of you have, but I bet majority of you who are drivers have probably been in an accident or two. Raise your hand if you've actually been in an accident. It's the majority of the room. Some of you have been in fender benders. Some of you have been in a head-on collision. My wife, uh, who's serving in, in High Point Kids today, will tell you this was a scary moment for us a few months ago where she was sitting in a traffic light with, with all the kids in the car, trying to get the kids to school, and two other cars hit each other. A head-on collision moment. And the impact of these two cars was so great that it literally spun over to her van that was just sitting and totaled our van. And she called me. And, of course, the kids are screaming in the background. I, you know, it's a terrible moment as a father to hear and not be able to tell what is even happening. You hear screaming. You hear crying. There's people who are injured. There's people who need to go into urgent care. This is what happens when you experience a wreck. And if cars were the primary mode of transportation, I have a feeling that Paul would say that your faith is experiencing a head-on collision. We miss the significance of shipwreck because we don't travel by boat. This is, this is dangerous. This is explosive. This is in, injurious. This is injuring to the people around them. The shipwreck isn't something that's just contained to simply you. And so when we speak about cheap shots and how Satan would love to injure you, he wants to see your faith in a head-on collision. He wants to damage you, and he wants your faith that is also crumbling under his pressure to damage the people around you. What you believe shapes how you live. Let's say that one more time. What you believe shapes how you live. Therefore, because that's true, Satan is after your faith because if you believe a certain thing, it impacts how you actually live. Think about this. How you spend your time. Some of you are at church here today because you value 
your faith. You value growing in relationship with God. How you spend your time reflects what you believe and how you, therefore, live. If you believe that, that a, a, poli a political candidate is, is, is the right one for the job, it's going to shape how you vote. As much as we try to remove religion and spirituality and faith from different sectors of society, at the end of the day, it's almost impossible because faith is so deeply entrenched in who we are what you believe shapes how you live. And so Satan is after what you believe, whether you're in middle school, whether you were in high school, whether you were in college, single, married, divorced. Kids, no kids. First Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 17. Paul begins to address some challenges. And I debated on how to go about this because we're going to get into some conversations today that we may not even fully get to explore, but some of the most divisive passages in all of Scripture literally are in the book of Timothy. And we're going to talk about them today. And as I, even, as I say it on the microphone, you're going to think, how on earth does that have anything to do with what we're talking about today? The role of women in church. Oh my gosh. And some of you now just leaned forward in your chair because you're like, I'm all in. I'm all ears, right? Divisive conversations. They shouldn't be as divisive as they've become. But what does it look like for men to lead? What does it look like for women to lead? And when we talk about faith getting shipwrecked, there are four to five main things we see happening in this early church. There's bad teaching that's being taught. There are people that are distracted from the main thing remaining the main thing. There are, there are leaders obsessed with money. And there's an inability to apply the gospel to real-life situations. Does that sound in any way familiar with how we might be struggling as a church? Sure does. Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years ago, people were struggling, while the circumstances look different, they're struggling with the exact same things you and I are struggling with. So what Paul does is he, he brings everything into focus. He's trying to remove as much distraction as possible. Everyone say distraction. We're going to get into that here in just a second. Here is a trust, trust, trustworthy? Here is a trustworthy saying, verse 15, that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesus is the largest city in Asia Minor at this point in human history. There's over 100,000 people in this city. It's a seaport. It also is home to the seventh ancient wonder of the world, which is the Temple of Artemis. It is a booming city. And so a church like this would have more religion, more culture, 
more temptation, more, more things competing for your uh, attention, competing for your distractions. And so Paul has to remind the church, and he does so six times in a small letter to Timothy. He reminds them six times of this thing that is a trustworthy statement. Of all the things that we're going to get into, he keeps coming back to this one central thing. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I've been one of the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, he says, so that in me, or in other words, through me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, let's bring everything into focus. Let's get rid of all the distractions. We've got some things to take care of. I've got some instructions to give you, Timothy. But if you lose sight of the main thing, saying the, sa the main thing, you're going to get off track. And here is what it looks like to be on track. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That means you and me, Timothy. He came to save me. But he didn't just leave me in this moment. He wants to do something through the salvation in my life that other people might see his goodness and his glory and be brought to eternal life in his son, Jesus. That's the main thing, staying the main thing. You guys with me this morning? Because we love to be distracted. Oh, we love distractions, don't we? Literally just working on the message. It's very hard nowadays. This is going to sound like a pity party, so don't hear it as such. But our phones so easily prevent us from having dedicated, focused time on anything, whether it's your kids or whether it's trying to write a message. Notifications and alerts and sports and who's going to pitch, you know, for the next playoff game and what's the, what's the lineup look like and, oh, here's planning center for church and this person has accepted this and this person has declined that. Oh, and by the way, can you pick up this on the way home from the grocery store? And can we do this? Oh, we don't want to be late for that. And did you remember to RSVP for that invitation that came in the mail? Oh, all the things. Well, that's life. And we use this word called multitasking to somehow talk about, sorry, this idea that some of us are great at, with, with, with multiple plates spinning. And I have really bad news for you. Studies show that no one is good with multiple plates spinning. In fact, 97.5% of all people that, were, that took a test at George Mason, Mason University failed at successfully multitasking. 97.5. People who study work and business incomes are now at a place where they're saying that roughly 28% of the workday is lost to Americans because of distractions. Okay? Think about it for a second. You're sitting at your desk. You got a report. You got a TPS report you're trying to submit <laughs> before a big meeting. 
And you're peppered with all these interruptions. Your phone buzzes with texts about what to eat for dinner. You get incoming emails from your boss. Somebody swings by your cubicle to ask you a question. And you've only been working on your report for about an hour, but you've already been interrupted half a dozen times. And this is a normal life. And if you work from home and you have children running around, let's just pray for one another. Okay? In all seriousness, there's a reason why texting while driving is becoming outlawed in pretty much every state. Why? Because to drive distracted is dangerous. In fact, studies now show, and this is not giving you license to drink while uh, inebriated, but that driving while texting is even more dangerous than drunk driving. Six times more accidents right now are happening due to texting while driving than to alcohol. How is that possible? Because distracted, uh, distractions, uh, they literally can be fatal. If they can literally have experience, we can experience fatality in our cars while we're driving. Think about the distractions spiritually, the small distractions, the big distractions. They have great implication on our lives. Things that we think aren't that big of a deal. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says it like this. They're experiencing spiritual distraction. And so he says in verse 1, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We shared this last week. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. What? Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? There is once again God's heart for the lost. This is what God wants us to do. Cut through all the noise and become a people who will pray. And that you would pray for peace because a people of peace have a much greater time talking about a God of peace. And this pleases God because this gives us the greatest chance of sharing the good news with people who do not know Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners, you and me. Jesus is working his grace in your life for those who do not yet believe. And he offers eternal life because this is not the end. My paraphrase of Paul's letter to Timothy. And then he gets into some really challenging conversations. Ones that I wasn't planning to have, but we are going to have. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray. And I want them to lift up holy hands without anger or disputing. If the main message is that God wants to save sinners... That he wants to save sinners through your life. And that he wants them to experience eternal life. Then a group of men who are supposed to be representing Jesus and the peace that he has given them. For them to be angry. And for them to be disputing. And for them to be having petty conversations. 
This does not represent Jesus or his kingdom or his church very well. Therefore, what do these men need to do? They need to stop all this tomfoolery and they need to become the kind of men who will learn to pray. That they would lift up holy hands in prayer. But hear me, church. If you think this is just you learning to get up in the morning, even though you had a great action step last week of getting up and coming to prayer, I was thrilled by the new people that came. When Paul writes that men are to lift up holy hands in prayer, this is about a life. A lifestyle that represents Jesus and represents him well. To lift up holy hands, in other words, is to say that my life is holy. My life has been set apart for God and for God alone. Meaning that there's nothing that can really be said about me that's, that's bad. Nothing can be said about my reputation. Nothing can be said about my actions, the words that are coming out of my mouth. For men to be the kind of men who would lay their pride down and the need to always be right about something and need to always talk about something and to learn grace, to learn how to live holy, righteous lives, lives devoted in God to prayer. Think about this for a minute. The amount of conversations that happen. This is a, I realize these are generalizations. But we're going to go there. The amount of men who have conversations like this. Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. No, he's not. LeBron's better than Michael Jordan ever was. You know what? No, he's not. You're an idiot. No, he's not. You're an idiot. And the commenting and the care. And then, and then just talking about sports turns into character assassination. This happens, and it happens every single day, about a matchup that can never actually happen. It can never even happen. And these kinds of conversations happen all the time where people get knotted up, and people get angry, and they begin to dispute, and they begin to fight over things that don't even matter. Imagine how we handle ourselves over the things that really do. And rather than being able to engage in a conversation, we become angry, passionate. We fight like dogs, literally, that are nipping at each other. We had a movie night. It was amazing last night, you know, that people were serving. We were inviting people to church and passing out candy to kids. And a lot of people had dogs, and those dogs, guess what they would do if another dog saw another dog? They'd start barking and their teeth would be, you know, they'd do what dogs do. And many times this is what men do. They fight. And they fight over things that are foolish. Can everybody fight over foolish things? You better believe it. Is there a propensity for a man to dig his heels in to prove that he's right? Oh, yes, there is. And in this particular case, these men are, are arguing about theological issues that are petty, that are foolish, all in an attempt to be right. And anyone that's married will tell you, being right is not always being right. And they weren't. Their hearts were wrong. And so Paul is writing and he says, don't let the condition of your life 
affect the condition of the message. I'm going to say that one more time. The condition of your life will, it will impact the condition of this message. Meaning if I've got the, if I have everlasting life that I want to offer to my neighbor and I want to tell somebody about Jesus and I want to tell them about the goodness and the amazing life change that I've experienced, but the water that I'm offering is polluted. It's basically water that I kind of pulled out of the toilet and here I am trying to offer this as if it's supposed to be refreshing. Why would anybody want that? And so much of culture has rejected the Christianity that Christians have offered because it's so full of jank, of anger, of outrage and bitterness. And these are not the things of God. And the condition of our hearts and the conditions of our very lives have affected the condition of the message. My, my wife and I, you know, we've been in ministry for a while. And a while ago, a text message went out to the neighborhood we used to live in. And one of the neighbors was upset because they thought that one of the teenagers in the neighborhood was driving through the neighborhood too fast. Okay. As a teenager, one time, many moons ago, I, I had a conversation with an adult who busted my chops on driving too fast through a neighborhood. If you've ever been a teenager, there, there may be a propensity at times to maybe drive a little too fast. Not saying that, that that is simply attributed to you because you're a teenager, but there may be a, a chance that that happens. Some of you are adults, and this happens to you as well, okay? And... This person in the neighborhood was outraged by the sheer fact that they saw a teenager. So what did they do? They, they texted around the neighborhood to find this teenager's phone number. And they texted this teenager. The teenager didn't even know who they are, didn't even know their name. And literally rips them from top to bottom and curses them out through a text message. Classy. Proceeds to call the police. Writes the police to the neighborhood. Makes sure that the police has the license plate number of this said alleged teenager. And then texts all the other adults in the neighborhood with screenshots of this text thread going back and forth. And is under the impression that Amy and I are going to be outraged so much that a teenager was speeding that we would justify their actions because of the way that they were speeding of what the teenager did and i want you to hear this if you're speeding through a neighborhood well stop speeding through a neighborhood and you know what that's a worthy conversation that conversation should happen and it should happen with grace it should happen with kindness but also with serious implications that you could hit a kid it's a conversation that needs to happen but you can't even have this conversation because you literally just texted this person out of outrage and blew them up and you're cussing and you're cursing and you're assassinating who they are and this is outrageous and so the message that needs to be communicated is lost because of the condition of the heart you guys with me today 
This happens time and time and time again. And Paul is reminding Timothy, and he's reminding the men in this church, get back to the main thing being the main thing. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He died for you, and your life should speak to those who do not yet believe. But if your life is so full of anger and so full of outrage and so full of this and that, they will never be able to see it. They will never be able to hear it because the condition of your life is affecting the condition of the message. Then he goes on. He proceeds. He has a message for men, which I just shared, which, by the way, could be a message for anyone that has a pulse. And then he has a message right here for the women in Ephesus. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, if you just read that statement, Outside of the context of everything else that Timothy is writing, it could feel like, come on, man. Like, what about all the dudes? You guys with me here for a second? What Paul is addressing are distractions that are getting in the way of the message being communicated. The message of Jesus Christ. And for the men, their particular issues are that they're angry. The women have some issues going on in this particular church as well. They have some, there are some wealthy women that have access to expensive clothes and expensive jewelry. And if you've heard the phrase, if you got it, flaunt it. Well, that's kind of what's happening here in the Ephesian church. We have women who are flaunting. And guess what? They are becoming a distraction. Not only that, in the verses to follow, they are actually presuming to teach, but they actually haven't learned what is truly true and what's false because they haven't been educated theologically at this point. Now, I want this to be very clear. I know plenty of guys who by their dress and what they have worn and the way they have carried themselves have been just as much a distraction does this make sense, church? Paul is writing specifically to men here and specifically to women here about specific issues. But at any given church, at any given time, you could role reverse this. And it could be the guys who are carrying some, themselves this way. It could be the women who are carrying themselves this way. They've got real issues and these issues are getting in the way of the message of Jesus being communicated with clarity. Chapter 2, verse 11, moving on, he says that a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. <laughs> and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. That's a lot. Okay, can we all just say in 2019, if, if you're going to like post the verse of the day, this isn't the verse that you want to post, okay? That doesn't change the fact that this is God's word, 
And God is specifically, through Paul, writing to issues that are happening in Ephesus. And there are people that are teaching, specifically women, who have great authority. And one of the reasons they have authority is because authority was given to those who had money. These women are wealthy, and they're flaunting their wealth in the church, and consequently they've given authority to speak, but they don't know what to speak about. And Paul connects their lack of education in this moment with Eve who is deceived in the garden. And he says, because you have, because, because you have not been educated theologically, you need to come and sit under the education of Timothy, my son, who will teach you. And my hope is, he doesn't use these words, but we know this from other letters that he's written, that the character of these women would be like Priscilla. That the character of these women would be, uh, I've lost my place in my notes. Uh, Junia and Phoebe, three unbelievable leaders in the early church. So when people take this verse and they try to broad brush it across the body of Christ and say that a woman can never speak in a church, well, you're not really looking at the expanse of Scripture and the incredible leaders who are women who stepped up and either led the church or led all of Israel, might I add. And so this verse has become a distraction, not because we shouldn't understand it or that it can't be applied to our lives, but we've allowed it to become something that it's not supposed to be. I grew up in a church where women weren't allowed to speak at all in service. Many of you have as well. And yet at our church, what you see, you saw a lot of women handle a microphone today. They're incredible. They're incredible leaders. They have incredible character. And the purpose that Paul is writing this text again is that there have become there are distractions that have come into the church one of the distractions is that people are teaching who have no theological education at all and they're teaching the wrong things would paul need to write this if these incredible female leaders were teaching the right things i don't think he would because it wouldn't detract from the message of Jesus. But right now, we have people who are building their lives on things that are not theologically accurate. So in short, what does Paul mean? There are three different ways people take this text. One, that women should never lead or teach in any church, period, forever until Jesus returns. Amen. People take it and they say women shouldn't lead, but maybe with the right education they can. Which, by the way, I would say that that should apply to every man as well. Do you want a man handling a microphone who has no theological training? I don't think you do. Do you want somebody leading who doesn't know what they're talking about? No, you don't. Then there's another persuasion that these Ephesian women shouldn't lead because, like Eve, they've been deceived. Now, here's where things get a little bit unique for us. Because the message of Jesus is to be exalted, his glory, 
his sacrifice for sin, sin-filled men and women. You have permission, biblically speaking, to not agree with me because this is not an issue of morality. Never once does Paul say that this is wicked. He does not say that. And so for, if you grew up going to a church where that's uncomfortable for you, or maybe somebody visited the church and this has happened on numerous occasions where someone has come and they've seen a woman handling a microphone and they've left and they've never returned. I don't wish that. I don't think that is understanding the Bible very well. But because Jesus and his sacrifice for those who do not know him is to be preeminent, this is not the thing that we are going to go to war over. This is not the thing we're going to die over. And that might make some of you uncomfortable because we want women to have rights in the church or to be defended, etc., etc. And all those things are true, but not at the expense, hear me, No, even as I'm saying that, it's not coming out right. The thing that cannot be lost is we appeal for healthy and godly leadership in the church. Whether male or female, is that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for broken humanity is preeminent over everything else. And that means that as your pastor, am I a feminist? No, actually I'm not. Any more than I'm somehow trying to get guys in the right spot. I, 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 I'm, hear me, I'm for the right people leading, male or female. And it just so happens that we've got some incredible female leaders in our church. And because of that, because the grace and anointing of God is upon them, they will lead. Because that's right, and it's healthy, and it's not a distraction from the gospel. And guess what? Men that have been graced by God to lead, they will lead, God willing, because they've been graced and anointed and empowered to do so. But if their lives, male or female, or lack of understanding of who Jesus is and how to impart that to somebody, whether male or female, if that becomes a distraction from the gospel itself, then we have to have instruction for the church on how to build this thing right and build this thing better just like Timothy is experiencing from Paul. You guys with me? Does this make sense? The purpose of this letter and this portion of Scripture is for Paul or for Timothy to help remove things that are becoming a distraction from people coming to faith. If I can be very clear, at any given time, from my, in my opinion, you could take female and you could switch it with male, and you could take male and you could switch it with female because there's nothing inherently unique to these issues that can only be experienced by a man or experienced by a woman. Anybody could carry themselves in either one of these ways. Our posture must be that we would stop allowing the condition of our lives to affect the condition of the message. 
we haven't even become close. We haven't even come close to scratching the surface of what has been debated for literally hundreds upon hundreds of years. But it's a shame when the Bible that is to be good news is used to oppress people. And that passage in particular has been used to oppress women and it has become a distraction from the good news that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to set us free, men and women. And you should also hear this, that when, Je when, when, when Paul is in, inviting Timothy to instruct these wealthy women, that in and of itself, right then and there, is mind-blowing. Because at this point in history, women generally didn't receive an education. But Paul is inviting them in, and he is saying that the same grace extended to men is the same grace extended to women, that they would understand the full theological implications of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And now for you, you're going to hear this message, and the main thing that you're going to think about is the role of women in church. And I get that. It's such a hot topic. Uh, in our culture right now, not specifically with, with women in church per se, but uh, just women in general in our culture. But what you should remember even more than that, as you're going, you're getting chips and you're getting salsa and you're getting food and you're doing what you do on a Sunday night. Regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, what you want to do is take a step back and you would examine your own heart and you want to look and see, God, is there anything in here that is detracting from who you are? Is there anything here that is a distraction from the glory of Jesus being revealed? Is there anything that has consumed my heart? Is there anger? Is there unforgiveness? Am I saying things and teaching things that aren't true? Am I sharing things on Facebook that aren't right, that are inaccurate, that are angry? Am I carrying bitterness? God, what is the condition of my heart? I give it to you now that I may not be a, a distraction like either one of the two parties here in Ephesus. Let my heart and my life be a reflection of who you are, Jesus, that others might see you. They might see your sacrifice and they might come to know you. Stand to your Father, we look to you now. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the wisdom to read the scriptures and apply them in our situations in 2019. God, we thank you that your word is true. It's as true just as much for men as it is for women. It's as true for women as much as it is for men that you, Jesus, give life that you, Jesus, are the anchor of our souls, that you, Jesus, give freedom.
that in you is true freedom, that those who do not know you might experience eternal life. And Lord, this morning, with holy hands lifted this morning, God, we ask that our lives would be a true reflection of who you are. God, that there would be nothing that gets in the way of, of honoring you and truly being a, a vessel for you and your kingdom. Use us today. Use us in our communities. Use us at work. Use us in our neighborhoods. Let nothing detract from your name, Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name. The name we exalt this morning. The forever one. The glorious one. The beautiful one. Our wonderful Savior. To you, receive all the glory forever and ever. Amen. The church sure do love you. If there was anything, I'll, I'll be listening to my own podcast on this this week. If there's anything I communicated poorly, forgive me. But that can happen at times. Jesus above everything else. Jesus above everything. Amen. You can sign up for a new members class. We've got chili cook-off. We've got all kinds of things. You can get all the information you need by texting HP info. 97,000. We'll see you next week.